Welcome back to Behind Our Door. Hello, Nancy. Hi, Julie. We're back. Well, we are back, back again. Another great topic. Another great topic. And this is this is a big one, but we have brought on a friend of mine. Um, I guess I can call her a friend now. And you can call me a friend. <laughs> thank you. And she is our insurance expert. Her official title is she is in knowledge management. So we're going to test her knowledge today and um, see what kind of answers we can dig up. So welcome, Robin Black. Thank you for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. This will be a lot of fun, I'm sure. It will, because I feel like insurance is one of the biggest topics that families have to tackle. So to begin with, um, where should we start? Boy, I got uh, like a million questions. Um, (laughs) Do you want to just run through how insurance works basically? How about we start there? Sure. Are we talking about in general in terms of health or are we focusing on uh, behavioral health? Okay, beautiful. Um, So when it comes to behavioral health, almost every plan that you're going to have out there, whether you get your insurance um, commercially, meaning you're getting it through an employer um, or you're buying an exchange plan, which a lot of people know is the marketplace, um, or whether you're getting your insurance through Medicare or Medicaid, almost every plan out there is going to have a behavioral health benefit. Um, And that's because of what they call the Parity Act. And parity means the same as. Um, So if you haven't heard that term before, that's a new one for you. Um, But basically speaking, you should anticipate that unless you have what's considered a small group plan where maybe you work for lack of a better way to put it, a mom and pop shop, or maybe they only have three or four employees. And so costs are of, of a factor or, um, you know, have an impact, plans out there should have behavioral health benefits. Um, And each behavioral health benefit is going to be a little bit different, basically based on what kind of plan was purchased, either by choice being, again, one of those marketplace plans, or something that might have been offered through your employer, through your state, or through the federal government. Is that a good way to start? Yes. Yes, thank you for okay. clarifying that. Sure. Because I think when it comes to mental health, now looking back prior to the Parity Act, when you said Parity Act, my my ears ring because <laughs> um, many, you're an informed consumer. Yes, many years ago, I found out exactly what that mm-hmm. was because mm-hmm. my son had been hospitalized and my max had been reached, and it was thirty two thousand five hundred a year. See, it's been fifteen years. Still remember exactly that hurts my heart. Yeah. So everything else they had to pay out of pocket. Anytime mm-hmm. he went to the doctor after that, anytime he needed a medication, any anything mental health related, I had to pay out of pocket. So um, I'm glad you brought up the Parity Act because mm-hmm. when it passed, I was so thankful. However, having said that, <laughs> mm-hmm. here's here's another issue that I've run into. Um, mm-hmm. Working for the police department, we our insurance is privatized. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently the laws don't then apply to our insurance. I'm not sure I'm saying that right. Do you understand this is I'm... true. Yes. Okay. So federal mental health parity applies to, again, large group, fully insured policies. Um, but there are some stipulations. So municipalities can opt out of parity. Um, there are some governmental agencies, um, some other public service agencies that can opt out. 
Now, in a lot of instances, so for example, I think about um, school districts. Uh, school districts are kind of at the forefront because that is uh, something my husband's in the, been in the education industry industry, if you want to call it that, for 23 years now. So we've always dealt with school district health insurance. Um, And a lot of times because school districts are larger or they may choose to do more of a um, a co-op, I guess would be the way to put it, for buying insurance because you have so many people who are insured under the plan. Those types of groups, while they can choose to opt out, typically don't. Because you've got so many people being insured, you're getting a better rate. You're getting bang for better bang for your buck, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. But you are correct. There are certain groups that can opt out. I don't remember all of them. So what I would say to any consumer is just check it out. Federal Mental Health Parity Act. It's interesting to me to hear this. I mean, I've known Julie for uh, the past, I don't know, 15 years. So a chunk of her mm-hmm. career, yet not even like really half, I guess, but um, I never knew that, that there was difference. And I just come from more of the mm-hmm. corporate HR world where sure. I dealt with, a, I was a director of HR, human resources, that is for listeners, mm-hmm. that, um, that was union and non-union. And I was just, you know, it was very, you know, we had a broker for the non-union, the union had their, uh, their own contracts, but this, I never, mm-hmm. I never um, knew the details of that. That's and you probably had a large enough group that it, really was of no impact. Right. So that's true. Yeah. I mean, the average person who works for a larger group, it's never going to going to occur to you that there may be some stipulations or some outs, if you will. Yeah. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's unfortunate that it was written that way. And um, mm-hmm. I could tell you another horror story, but I won't go into all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like when it comes to insurance, I've really run into the roadblock. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things also is deductibles, right? So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about deductibles and how that works, because I think a lot of parents struggle with, um, you know, if my child or loved one goes inpatient, how long mm-hmm. do they get? How, how do they know? How do they find out? Sure. Well, again, when you're dealing with parity, what that should mean is that your medical coverage and your behavioral health coverage our mirror image, which typically means in most cases, whatever deductible you will have for your medical care should be the same for behavioral. It should be an all-in-one. When I think about a deductible or when I would have explained a deductible to any of the callers who were coming, calling in and um, I was providing them education on their plans, I would liken it to car insurance, except it's a little bit better. And the reason I say that is because, you know, anybody who drives a car, and anybody who, heaven forbid, has had to make an insurance claim for their car, whether it be because of an accident or, you know, a, heaven forbid, a tree fell on their, their car or whatever the case might be. What that meant is that they were responsible for that certain amount of money, that predetermined amount of money that they would be paying out of pocket before the insurance would cover the remainder. The reason I say that health insurance, though, is better is because it's a, it's a once a year deductible. Heaven forbid you have two or three car accidents in a year, you can have to meet that deductible two or three different times. With health insurance, it's one time for the year. Every plan is going to be a little bit different. It could be calendar year. It could be fiscal year. So again, that's something that you need to know when you're reading your plan. But essentially, if you've got an insurance plan that has, say, a $2,500 deductible, what that means is for your services, you're going to pay out the first $2,500. And then once you hit that mark, 
everything thereafter you should be paying at more than likely a coinsurance or a percentage. Um, Something that some people may not realize, so I do want to call this out just as a cautionary tale, is if you've got a plan that has a deductible for both in-network and out-of-network care, those two deductibles are often different and they typically don't cross-apply. Meaning, usually, and again, you got to read your plan. That's the thing you're. I'm probably going to say over and over again, and people will be really annoyed to hear. But you've got to read your plan because every plan is going to be different. Um, so typically, that means that you know, if you see your in-network provider, and it's a two thousand five hundred dollar deductible, it only goes towards in-network. And then if you've got a five thousand dollar out-of-network deductible, and you happen to go out-of-network, you're probably starting at zero dollars, and Moving up to that 5,000 as the case might be. Near the two shall meet, if you will. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, yes, yeah. 100%. One mm-hmm. thing with mental health that is, um, is really difficult, let's say somebody goes into an ER and that's covered, mm-hmm. you know, that's like your, that's ER coverage, sure. you know, whatever it is, whether it's right. medical or mental health. Mm-hmm. But um, if it's going to be an inpatient hospitalization from that mm-hmm. ER visit, mm-hmm. there any city, any town is going to have to look for a bed that's available in um, in a you know in a city area of however mm-hmm. many miles. And sometimes those that have the empty you know the the free bed and the availability, mm-hmm. but for your insurance, you know, for all different kinds of stipulations with that. Mm-hmm is out of network. And I've had people calling um, because I just do the general calls, crisis calls about Mm -hmm. anywhere from A to Z with the mental health and the family Mm -hmm. saying that they get these astronomical bills because the the only hospital that was available was out of network. And um, what's your response to that? Is there, is that something that is um, avoidable or is is there some way to re- I always have told someone, go back to your, your source, the insurance mm-hmm. company would have you make your calls. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't seem right. What's your response to that? It really doesn't seem right. Now, I understand that there are some instances where let's say you're in a less populated area where there may only be a choice of one hospital, and that may be where you have to go. The emergency room should really be calling the insurance company, and they do. I mean, most insurance companies have 24-7, um, you know, customer service, maybe not necessarily to do everything, but when you're talking about an inpatient hospitalization, when you're talking about crisis type services, you have to have 24-7 support. So that emergency room really should be communicating with the insurance company, provided the patient has an insurance card on hand or knows who their insurance company is and, you know, Sometimes people having a behavioral health crisis just don't have that information with them or on them or or don't have the clarity of mind at that moment to be able to provide that information. But we'll talk best case scenario. Best case scenario is you know who your insurance carrier is. That emergency room should be communicating with uh, with the insurance company, first of all, to notify that that member is there and being assessed. They should be gathering benefit information. Um, If they have the capacity to admit the member, they should be working on potentially getting an authorization or finding out where that transfer can occur. Your average insurance company is going to have a very robust network of providers and facilities. Um, So if you're talking a more populated area, um, Julie, you've talked about Chicago. Nancy, I'm assuming 
you're probably in or around the area as That's am right. I. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me that you can't throw a stone and find a hospital in the city of Chicago. I, you know, I would be hard pressed to believe that there isn't an in-network facility somewhere. That doesn't mean that at times there aren't peak crises, especially around the holidays where maybe it's a little harder to find a placement, um, but the insurance companies will work with them. And heaven forbid, there really just is not an opening somewhere, then that admitting hospital and the insurance company should be working together to see that, what can be done. Okay. That's really, that's really the answer. I mean, that's really interesting mm-hmm. because that's the question I often have gotten over the years of this was the last bed available. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't stay in the emergency room for four days until your insurance, the proper, you know, coverage of mm-hmm. a bed shows it, you know, is, is well, you can, is but it's not ideal. Right. And they don't, they don't want it either. I mean, you know, especially with the overload of ERs these days, but that's really, so that's, that's good. That's very valuable information. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There, you know, the, any emergency room that's with worth their weight is going to be working with the insurance company to figure out what can we do to serve this member, you know, um, and and to kind of follow up with that, you know, I, I heard you say, Nancy, that, um, there are some instances where, you know, maybe a, a member is getting an exorbitant bill that they weren't expecting at the end. And unfortunately, that can happen as well. To that member, I would say, first and foremost, try to connect with your insurance company to find out what, if anything, was done. Because they could have very well been at an in-network facility. But again, maybe they didn't have their insurance card. So in that regard, there may be something that can be done. Um, you know, there could be some advocacy done to try to work on that mm-hmm. bill for that member. Um, and, and it could be something as simple as the facility sending records and getting what they call a retro authorization. Um, and if it is an out-of-network facility, members do have appeal appeals rights. Um, each insurance company is going to kind of have their own rules. So again, it's talking to the insurance company, finding out what the insurance company may need and seeing what they can possibly do to work with you. Because again, sometimes situations are literally unavoidable. Yeah. Just to add to it, something that we tell, um, or I've told callers also is Mm -hmm. that when you have someone, let's say this case or any case regarding insurance and questions, when your your person or yourself, if that's the case, is actually in the hospital, in the inpatient unit, try mm-hmm. to try to find out as much as you can if there's some sort of mm-hmm. a hurdle that you're going to have to jump over with this or some sort of a, a glitch in the system, because the social workers that are on staff there are very connected sometimes to the insurance companies and they can make the calls absolutely to get through and get things done. So a lot of mm-hmm. times family members will call saying, oh my God, I think we're going to get this big bill. I said, okay, it's great you're calling now when the person is still there. Go right. ha- either have them, them talk to the social workers on staff in the, mm-hmm. you know, in the psych unit or mm-hmm. yourself if, if they can sign you on to talking, to having that conversation mm-hmm. because they really get the job done at, at times much faster Absolutely. than you because the hospitals want to be paid too. They Mm -hmm. most certainly do. They most certainly do. And, you know, a lot of times it's just a matter of, as I've said before, you know, sometimes members don't know what they don't know. So it's always advocacy. It's ask the questions. You know, if, if the patient themselves is not in a frame of mind to be able to advocate for themselves, which, you know, in an inpatient setting, maybe they're not, but if you've got a loved one who can ask the questions, no question is stupid. No question is too much. It's all about, you know, 
looking out for yourself. And and that hospital probably is doing way more by, behind the scenes than anybody even really realizes. Right. And let me piggyback off of that just a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, they can also sign a release of information. Absolutely. And they and, should. Yes. And um, I know for, for my situation, mm-hmm. I had sent the insurance company power of attorney because my mm-hmm. son, had, you know, eventually became an adult. So I had to mm-hmm. make sure that that was in place. So when mm-hmm. dealing with his care, I was a step ahead that they had that on file. They knew that they could speak to me and that I could make decisions on his behalf. Definitely. That's a really important thing you just said, Julie. And we're ta- this is a conversation about insurance, but we've talked about it before with other episodes, that power of attorney, mm-hmm. so important. Um, and in this case, obviously. But you don't, too. Nec- I mean, you don't necessarily need a power of attorney. You can get a release of, right? Yeah, right. Re- release of release information. Of information. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, here's something else that I want to throw out there. Uh, this is something that I've learned somewhat recently. So I want to throw this out for all of the parents out there that have kiddos that are in that tween age, teenage mm-hmm. uh, realm. There are all sorts of different laws based on each and every state as far as something called age of consent. Okay, this is a big buzzword here. You're both nodding your heads like you've heard it before. So age of consent means that once a member reaches a certain age, and in some states, that age is as low as 12 years old, sometimes even a little bit lower. That's younger than people would imagine. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I think about my 13 year old and I'm like, she she can't make a healthcare decision to save Mm -hmm. herself. She's going to look at me and go, mom. But um, in a lot of states, it's, you know, as low as 12 years old, which means that that member has the right to consent to treatment. And that member then also has the right to consent to what information is shared out. Gone are the days of my kid is a dependent minor. Those days are gone. So if you've got a kiddo who is looking to receive care or is receiving care, when in doubt, asked to to do a release of information, I guarantee those hospitals or those individual providers, because I know we're talking a lot about inpatient type care, but let's be real, um, office-based therapy is a you know, just as common, if not more, um, you know, if you need to be able to act on your kiddo's behalf, you're going to need that release of information, not only to work, say with the therapist, but with the insurance company. Um, and a lot of insurance companies will even let your kiddos do an electronic signature on a release of information form online, um, on their portals. So ask the questions, but keep in mind, we're doing this you know, to protect each member, to protect their confidentiality, um, you know, to make sure that the the wrong and or the right information doesn't land in the wrong hands. That's the way that I want to put it. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up because I mm-hmm. actually wrote that down to talk about the age of consent because I don't think people realize that it's as young no. as 12 years old. Right. And I can tell you again from experience, and I hate to keep talking about myself, but there was a time my son was in crisis and hated my guts and didn't want to talk to me and went in the hospital. And, you know, it, it was a struggle to mm-hmm. get any information. And he was not 18 at the time. And, and so one workaround to that, though, for any family member listening is you can always leave a lot of messages. They don't necessarily have to call you back and provide you information, but there's no law that states that you can't provide them information. That's very true. 
Yeah. That's so one, I left them. one way. Yeah. The one way mm-hmm. email, the one way. So, right. So I would email them or call them at the time, you know, email wasn't as prevalent. So, and mm-hmm. gave them a list of medications and medications he had been on and what worked and what didn't and mm-hmm. the symptoms I was seeing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I just want to throw that out there for family members who are listening that, um, a, try to get that in place as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. But if it doesn't work, there are ways around it. Excellent point. You are the picture of an advocate. You really are. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you go through a lot of stuff. One of the other things I want to say, piggybacking off the same conversation, is when we get our um, enrollment packets every year, I don't know about mm-hmm. you, Nancy, but they give you this shiny packet like, oh, your benefits are changing. And they, they put in these big letters like, oh, this is changing and this is changing. But they don't, you don't get the fine details. So what I had to learn to do about 10 years ago is I actually went into our human resource page, basically, and dug around till I found the actual PDF to find out what our coverage actually was. In the specific- Are you talking about your general insurance, your insurance? Yeah. Oh, okay. I just didn't know his... Yeah, uh-huh. for my insurance, because when you when you change, when the elective time comes up each year to change benefits and or keep them, whatever your decision is, your mm-hmm. enrollment time, they only send you, basically, it's like a brochure, and they only highlight what may be changing. So that right. doesn't really give you accurate description of what is actually covered. Mm-hmm. And it is ever-changing. And um, I, I feel like that's so true. It's like you really have to be... Uh, on your toes looking at this stuff because it the littlest things can go a long way with your particular situation as well when you get and and I think we should go into the this process too when someone is looking for a professional psychiatrist psychologist social work well social worker as that would be covered but um how they would go about doing this through to know that it would be covered I mean I get this mm-hmm. question again all the time I think this is one of the most common questions of people that call and, and, um, and I too have a son who has bipolar disorder, an adult son. I've gone through all the steps of everything we're talking about as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I think of it from a personal standpoint, but also um, from these callers that, you know, these, I feel as though insurance companies in general, and I've had like everybody, a few different insurance companies. It's either mm-hmm. my, my employment or my husband's employment. Um, a lot, all the big ones we've had. And um, I, I always have told people if they have in private insurance and tell me if this is good advice or not mm-hmm. um, to look on the back of their card. And this is just for specifically, I'm talking about mental health and substance gotcha. abuse. Look mm-hmm. on the back of your, go get your insurance card. Look at the back of the card. There's a separate 800 number for substance abuse, behavioral health and substance abuse or whatever they want to call it. Call mm-hmm. that number. And you go through the prompts and if you give your, usually your zip code, they will either privately email you or however you wish to get that information, a list within a 10, 15, 25 mile radius of where you live or work, that will mm-hmm. be a list of people, of, of professionals. The, the thing to really stay on top of with this is that a lot of times those professionals go in and out of working with these specific insurance companies. And especially in this day and age with waiting lists, you know, mm-hmm. you, it's awful, the waiting list situation, but that's life. If you get, you know, you're really wanting to see this psychiatrist and they say, okay, we have an opening in a month. And then you go there. It many, you know, it has happened 
that someone will sit down and they'll say, oh, wait a minute, we're not covered by X, Y, Z. Um, we were, but we're wow. not. What's your, what's your professional advice on the whole thing? I followed you 100% of the way through. So first of all, here's what I'm going to say. Um, if you're calling your insurance company as a prospective member, if you don't have a plan, you can absolutely call that 800 number. A lot of times it will be different than the general customer service number, but check your card. Um, there are more insurance companies are trying to cut back on the number of 800 numbers people have to call the provider line, the member line, the behavioral health, the pharmacy, like that card is, is going to get to the point where it's going to be about the size of an iPhone, right? So it's very possible that that 800 number may be the same as your toll-free number that you're calling for general customer service. And that's okay. It just might mean that there's an extra prompt when you're listening where they will say behavioral health or whatever. Uh, first tip I'm going to give you, if they ask you what you're looking for, because a lot of these prompting systems are voice automated, don't say mental. And the reason I say that is because most of the time when you say mental, the system hears dental and you're going to get to the dental department. <laughs> I, I, can't tell, I cannot <laughs> tell you how many times when I was on the phones, people were like, well, I have a question about an orthodontist. <laughs> so do I. Um, <laughs> I can't help you. I'm very sorry. That is not my area of expertise. Um, so a lot of times you don't want to say mental. Um, I would say behavioral. That's probably the better way to get through. Um, but where I was going with that, I apologize. I caveated. Nancy, I think I think a lot like you. Um, when you're calling the insurance company, again, if you don't have an existing plan, most insurance companies are going to be willing to help you. But please understand, they're going to give you general information. They're probably going to provide you a disclaimer that says, to the best of what I can locate. And the reason for that is partially to cover the behind for lack of a better way to put it, of the insurance company, but also to protect you as the consumer because there are some plans out there that are going to have very specific dedicated networks. You may have an HMO type policy that restricts who you can see. Um, and, and the insurance agent on the phone, that customer service representative, won't be able to see that until you're enrolled. So my recommendation is, is if you are looking at an insurance plan, or let's say, for example, your employer says we're going with ABC Insurance Company, call ABC Insurance Company, get what information you can. As soon as that plan goes live, call back and just double check. But it doesn't have to be a phone call. That's the other thing that I want to mention. Um, your insurance companies that are worth their weight are going to have highly interactive websites as well. So if you're a, I'm a thinker at three o'clock in the morning, and there's likely not going to be a customer service representative to help me at three o'clock in the morning, jump on that portal and take a look. Some insurance companies are better than others. I'm not going to use any names, but I will say that my husband's insurance company, their portal is less than desirable. Um, so that really does require a phone call in. Uh, the organization that I work for, we've got an amazing website that if you can't find what you're looking for, it's because it's not there. That person won't be there. I will say that. So, you know, it's, you can, once you're enrolled in a plan, typically speaking again, call in, just double check, make sure. Um, most insurance companies have the ability to text that information to you. Most have the ability to email it to you. Some people still want tried and true mail. It's a little harder to do these days because with COVID, you don't have a lot of office workers anymore. Um, but that doesn't mean that it can't be done. So ask, what's the worst that happens is somebody says, 
We don't have somebody to mail that out to you. Let me give you some names over the phone. Let's start writing some stuff down. But always just just double check. If, if you're not already enrolled, just give a call in when it comes online just to be 100% certain. Right. And there, yeah. you know, I, I have found that insurance companies, when you call them, first of all, most of the people I have dealt with have been super friendly and I've been mm-hmm. super thankful. And I'm so really glad to hear. Me, yeah. And they've really given me <laughs> a lot of good guidance in yeah. this crazy world. I agree. I just want to second that. I feel as though insurance companies get a really bad rap of, uh, you know, they don't. And I am so impressed with customer service in these years of insurance companies, especially when you call for behavioral health. God knows I will Absolutely. never say the word mental again to be turned to dental. That is the best <laughs> advice yet. But, but I feel like uh, that, I feel as though, um, you know, you get, you get people that are really answer your questions, you know, like you say, pick up the phone, get on, you know, you have to do your, your part. Right. Yeah. You know, and I'll share, um, most of us who are in this field are in it because we want to be, you know, um, I can't say that every single person does a job they do be, you know, other than for the paycheck. I mean, I think that's true in any industry, but I think most of us are there because we want to be, um, But the one thing that would always get me is I would get a call, usually from a frantic parent, and they would say, you know, my kiddo's struggling. They're, you know, they're dealing with this, they're dealing with that, you know, whatever the case might be. And I don't know where to start. And the first thing I would say to them is, yes, you do. You called us. That's what we're here for. We will help you. So um, you're right. Insurance companies get a bad rap. When I tell people I work for insurance, I usually get the... Ooh, um, kind of response, but you know, everybody's going to have a good experience and everybody's going to have a bad experience. Just like I think in finding a therapist, you may find somebody who fits right away, might take you three or four tries, maybe even more until you find the one that fits. You never know. Everybody's going to be different. Um, but give your insurance company a try because their job is really to be there to protect you, to protect your health, your safety, and your wallet. That's what I would say to that. And if you don't like who you're talking to, call back. Absolutely. When it's somebody who's really struggling getting the proper information about coverage, Mm -hmm. um, another option I have found is to call the, if this is the case, um, the the HR, Human Human, Human Resources Department of that particular company that's providing Mm -hmm. this benefit. Because again, they have oftentimes a contact and a relationship with one particular person to check on those benefits. So sometimes Absolutely. that accelerates the answer and it mm-hmm. also will give you, it'll cut through the red tape of whatever the problem might be. Mm-hmm. Um, there are good relationships between your, someone like yourself and your position and the employer. Absolutely. Give it a try, but don't, don't stop advocating. Again, another word that I'm going to use a lot, you know, just advocate for yourself, seek help where you need it, where, where that gets a little bit more difficult. You know, if you've got anybody who lists, who's listening, who may be, you know, state funded, uh, state funding reliant, like a Medicaid member, or you might have a Medicare member, you don't have the luxury of that HR department. Or if you bought your insurance through um, one of the marketplaces, maybe you've got a broker who can help you out. Maybe not. I'm not quite sure how that works. Um, but when and wherever you can, go to your source and ask for help. I agree completely. Speaking of things like that, then what mm-hmm. is a benefit management office? 
oh boy, now you're asking me stuff that may be outside of my realm, kind of like a contract yeah. sort of situation. Okay, yep. So I have talked to people. to go yep. through benefit management office, and that can be super frustrating. Um, and maybe you can explain to people what that is exactly. I think I'm following you, Julie. Um, again, you know, apologies. I was the call taker. I wasn't the call placer. But so did you basically, are you talking about an advocate who were kind of worked as a go-between between between your employer and the insurance? Correct. So they're the ones who approve or disprove the the coverage, basically. Okay. So that's more like an HMO sort of situation, almost a gatekeeper to your care. Is that what you're talking about? Well, I can only say for, you know, the city, obviously we had Mm -hmm. city insurance. and so. Um, we had Telligence, and prior to that, it used to be Compass. Okay. They're basically, I I feel like there's some kind of brokerage, but they're the ones who decide the benefits and whether to approve care or not approve care, which has nothing to do with insurance companies. I spent a lot of time trying to explain this people. Yeah. Like, Julie, I'm going to be honest. I'm not super familiar with that okay. and how they would operate. Um, what I'm more familiar with is there are some companies that have what you might almost call like a concierge service. And so no, what no, happens? What yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You might have somebody who works kind of as an advocate for you or a go-between, right. not familiar with the benefit management office. So some municipalities, and I'm sure it's in, in private, um, industries too have a mm-hmm. benefit management office. Now they are the ones who decide your care, whatever that looks like. So instead of picking up the phone wow. and calling the insurance company, you have to call the benefits management company and fight with them. And I say fight because I spent a lot of time on the phone wow. fighting with them. Um, I'll give you a, a brief example. Mm-hmm. My son was put into residential care and they were not approving it, his, hmm. his coverage. So he had to get approved um, every 10 days, every 10 days at mm-hmm. re Okay. And so they had to do a, I want to call it overview. That's not the word, but mm-hmm. they had to look at, look at it and see, does he need another 10 days? Are we going to okay. approve it? Right. So now they're like, nope, we're not paying for it. We don't want to do it. That's interesting. So then they would deny it. And at a at first, they thought it was the insurance company, and I had, you know, I had a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Said, no, no, ma'am, it's not us. You have to go back mm-hmm. to management. So then I called them, and then she said to me, "Well, how long do you think your son will be in the hospital?" Julie, was this person associated with your with your employment? No, they're a separate company. It's just it's, it's a go between between the employer and the insurance company. It's a benefit management. It sounds like they are somebody who is contracted by your municipality, Correct. Um, basically to help manage costs. Correct. Um, the first thing that concerns me is if they're worried about managing costs, are they also medical professionals? So how it works then is, and this is for anything, not just mental health, but medical care, mm-hmm. depending on what you need, they have doctors that they contract okay review your file and then they decide whether hmm. it's coverage or okay not. so there's some so, sort of third-party administrator correct that everything about that makes me feel icky i'll be honest yeah. not to say that well, i think it's a bad thing i'm sure it's not a bad thing as a matter of fact and <laughs> i'm gonna guess that you know again they're trying to 
to be cost conscious because I would guess that that plan was what they called uh, self-funded or an administrative services only plan, which means that your municipality would have to take, you know, have to kind of figure out what they thought the healthcare costs would be for the year reserve that money with the insurance company to pay out the claims. Um, and if by chance more claims come in than money they've banked, those claims don't get paid. If less claims come in than the money that's banked, they get the overage back. So the liability is fully on the municipality as opposed to the insurance company who assumes that risk and pays those claims, you know, whether you've banked enough money or not. Um, and that's, what's called fully insured. Okay. So I get that they would do that, you know, to, to financially protect somebody. Um, but what concerns me is if the actual healthcare provider was indicating that there was still a need for the service Mm -hmm. and the benefit management office didn't agree Mm -hmm. that, that overriding ability is what, what concerns me. I feel like there's like a lack of knowledge with just listening to this that Julie's saying in you know residential care for mental health or whatever mm-hmm. you know, whatever they're going to put it behavioral health mm-hmm. and to say every 10 days residential is not an inpatient so they did it for inpatient also it wasn't just residential I'm using oh I thought mm-hmm. it was for the residential no, situation it was for every 10 also. days That's yeah I mean it's not uncommon your insurance company would probably do something similar I can't necessarily say it would prescriptively be every 10 days but the insurance company again to make sure that a facility isn't billing just a bill and that that member is making progress and that it Furthermore, that that member or patient or whatever word you want to use um, is making the kind of progress that they need to make by being in the correct level of care. Um, because which is what they thing. want to do. Yeah, that's I'm a good thing. That's a good thing. In the correct level of care. Yeah, because that's the other thing that comes to mind. Like, Julie, if your son was in a residential program and he wasn't making progress, then that facility, that insurance reviewer, and they would call it a concurrent review. Once you're actually in in the hospital, then it's what's called a concurrent review. Um, That concurrent reviewer would maybe then start to question, well, why isn't progress being made? What kind of things can we do to help bridge that gap, so to speak? You know, is this member potentially more in need of an inpatient day? Vice versa, if he was in that residential program, and doing exceptionally well, um, you know, and had been in it for a period of time and showing ability, that concurrent reviewer might say, you know what, it's time to step down. Residential may be too restrictive. What about a partial program now? And that's part of what they're there for. Correct. But then that also depends on your insurance coverage too, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I guess you have to break that down a little bit. Like what is the difference between inpatient partial and intensive outpatient. Oh, but you're missing a level in there too. Okay. Oh, I, I knew I was missing So something. I'll do the best that I can. Okay. Yeah. So inpatient is your urgent emergent care. Okay. Inpatient means that that individual is at imminent harm to themselves or others, or is not able to care for themselves. Okay. So it's not all people, you know, immediately go, oh, harm to self or others. So it's homicide, suicide. And I know those words feel, and I use them 
in the wrong order. But um, I know those words are kind of scary to people, but they are real words. Yeah. But then there's also the component of, is this person so severely depressed that they are not eating, not taking care of their hygiene, um, not doing what they call ADLs, activities of daily living, okay? And if things are so severe that their health is being neglected, that may be a reason that somebody needs to be in the hospital as well. That's inpatient. Mm -hmm. Anything outside of that is going to be considered what they're calling non-urgent. Doesn't mean it isn't important, but that person's life main is, is not imminently at danger. Okay. So the next step on that rung is going to be residential and residential is a 24 hour program. Um, unlike an inpatient stay, it's typically not a locked unit. Um, there's some mobility, some residential programs will even let, um, their members kind of leave the facility during the day and come back again, depending on, you know, how it's being run and how it's being uh, managed. Usually there's a lot of group therapy involved, individual therapy involved, all sorts of different activities. Um, and, and the main focus being, of course, you know, helping that individual to stabilize and be able to resume living within the community as they had before. Then you've got partial hospitalization. So partial hospitalization is a program that members will typically attend five days a week. Um, and that is usually about the length of figure a school day or a work day. So um, go home in the evening time, sleep in their own home, sleep in their own bed. Uh, but during the day, it's programming. It's all sorts of different programs. So again, group therapy, individual therapy, maybe some art therapy, whatever the case might be, again, working on stabilization, but some community living. And then you've got in, an intensive outpatient program or IOP. And that's usually two or three days a week, usually about three hours a day. Um, so that's a type of program that a lot of working professionals, you know, find to be really helpful for them if they're in a state where they need more than just outpatient, but don't necessarily need a hospitalization. IOP can come in handy that way because it's the type of thing that some people will do after their work day or before their work day begins, whatever the case might be. Um, but of course can be aimed at any type of population, kiddos, adolescents, older adults, whatever the case might be. Um, and again, some individual therapy, group therapy, things like that. And then you've got your outpatient. And that's what people typically think of as that office visit, usually 45 to 50 minutes, but it's not an office visit anymore all the time. Keep in yeah. mind that of course, because of COVID, there's tons of telehealth services happening as well, which by the way, um, a lot of people don't know this. There are many IOPs and PHPs that can also provide telehealth therapy. Oh, wow. That's great. To know. Isn't telehealth bill the same as an office visit? Telehealth can be an office visit, but there are some facilities. And again, it's, you know, based on how they contract with the insurance company and how they um, decide to license things out and what platforms they're using, that they could even potentially do that IOP or PHP programming just like we're doing on a Zoom. Wow. Mm -hmm. Great to know. Yeah, COVID really necessitated it and it mm -hmm. stayed. It's really important information. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So another question I wanted to ask that stems from a lot of callers over the years mm -hmm. um, 
and, and actually a personal situation with my brother-in-law who we lost this past summer, summer to alcoholism. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, my, my husband's brother. Yeah, it was a long mm-hmm. struggle. Um, at one point, he was in the state of Florida. And I don't know if this is a state, state by state um, difference. And okay. he went into a, he was having really struggling. He was visiting a friend. They said, listen, you have to check into this rehab place. It was really a mm-hmm. bad situation. He said, okay. And um, usually I think they keep someone for 30 days. And after five days, he left. And mm-hmm. uh, this has happened to people I know. I mean, other people that call in will say that I just couldn't stay the whole time. And then they get some sort mm-hmm. of a a bigger bill than was spoken about the first day that they were getting all the information and checking in. Oh, because they like <laughs> IMA. Yeah. So what is the what is the stipulation? Uh, what are what are the guidelines and um of staying and having the coverage be uh, as it was stated and when does it um all of a sudden fall like you know when will it fall apart because the person sure. checked themselves out right. before the program was over okay well I, for for your your listeners who can't see my body language my head dropped or my my chin dropped to my chest because that Oh, that has so many red flags written all over it. Um, and I'm really glad that you didn't use the name of the facility because I certainly want to speak, wouldn't want to speak badly about anybody. Um, the first thing that I'm going to say to you is my gut and everything I know tells me this was an out-of-network facility, okay? And so let me let me start with a disclaimer. Um, there are many out-of-network facilities out there that are great. They do a wonderful job. They're in it for the right reasons. They're credentialed. They just choose not to contract with insurance companies. Unfortunately, there are also out-of-network providers and facilities out there where the bottom line seems to be the driving force. Okay. This is why first and foremost, I will always, always, always recommend that when you can go in network. Okay. Going in network provides significant protection to the member. And I am going to come to where where you were, Nancy, but I got to get on my soapbox for just a minute, if you'll allow me, please. When you go in network, that provider or that facility is contracted with the insurance company, okay? There's all sorts of liability that they take on. So if your service requires an authorization and that facility or that provider neglects to get it, the onus is not on the member. It is on the provider. That financial onus is on that provider. Okay. And again, your larger insurance companies, I can't speak to the smaller ones because I don't know them, but your larger ones are going to have a robust network of providers to choose from. Okay. When you go out of network, which it sounds like was the situation for your brother-in-law, Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially because he doesn't live in that state. He definitely was. Well, he was in a different- there were there were probably in network facilities within the state, oh. but in that moment of vulnerability, he probably mm-hmm. didn't know any better. And I'm sure nobody thought to call the insurance mm-hmm. company. That would be the sure. last thing in your mind in that moment. And that's, that's understandable, but it's also unfortunate. Um, because when you're dealing with an out-of-network provider or facility, they have no obligation whatsoever to the insurance company or to the member. Therefore, you're going to be fully responsible for whatever it is they tell you they're responsible for. Okay. Members are typically then fully responsible for submitting those claims to the insurance company. Um, 
the reimbursement rate for an out-of-network facility or provider is typically much lower than what you would face if you were going in the network. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of financial liability. Your brother-in-law could have walked in and signed a form that says, I'm financially liable for a 30-day program no matter what. And even if he walked out at day five, he was still paying for those extra 25 days. Um, if you're going in network, they can't do that. They can only bill the insurance company for the services provided and then can only hold you responsible for the cost share associated with those services provided. So again, if, if your brother-in-law had gone to an in-network facility and he got five days worth of care, that's all the insurance company could have been billed for. And that's all he would have been liable for was whatever his cost share for those five days. So it has nothing to do with... Um with a contracted, how somebody would get help and, you know, just the, no. okay. No, no. I mean, okay. yes, we all face the sort of thing of maybe you make an appointment with an in-network provider. And if by chance you don't cancel that appointment in a time frame, you may have a yeah. small penalty. Um, and and unfortunately, that's just kind of the way it goes because they need to make their money for their time. But no, no, you're not no, going to be okay. penalized for going, right. leaving AMA. No, absolutely not. You know, it's overwhelming when you go to the hospital for any treatment, but the reality mm -hmm. is you should bring somebody with to read, that, read through that paperwork and know what you're signing. Right? If you and, can. And, and it's a if crisis. You can. If you're going mm -hmm. to, if you're, if you're having behavioral health or substance abuse issues or both, which is usually, you know, oftentimes, mm -hmm. you know, it's a crisis. You're not thinking mm -hmm. about your insurance and all that. You, of know, course you just not. need help. Of course not. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. yeah. Having a trusted person or a loved one is whenever you can is important. And mm -hmm. we know that's not, not always possible, but you're right, Julie. Yeah. I wish they would not call it behavioral health anymore though. <laughs> I'd rather they call it behavioral health than some of the other things that are out well, there. And just you're so you know much. what, uh, there are some new terminologies. So of course we do say behavioral health more often than not, as opposed to mental health, even though there's nothing wrong with mental health. It is, you know, it is what it is. Um, but it's not substance abuse anymore. It is substance use disorder. And that's right. the fact of the matter is, is, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people who are using substances aren't using them to abuse them. It's, it's a right. self-medication mm -hmm. sort of thing. So um, yeah, we're ever evolving and changing and, and really that's kind of good. looking at things. That's mm -hmm. really good. So I don't know if you'll know the answer to this question. And I know we're running out of time and <laughs> okay. I'm probably going to ask you about 25 more questions. But, <laughs> Maybe they'll um, have to be a part two at some point. Yeah, there, there really might be. Um, what is the Department of Insurance? Do you know what the Department of Insurance is? I have heard of the Department of Insurance and nobody ever likes to have that term thrown at you. But the Department of Insurance is an accrediting body out there in, in the stratosphere, so to speak, um, that oversees all of the licenses for each insurance company and within each state. Um, if there are violations to what the Department of Insurance allows or expects, um, there can be significant financial repercussions on the part of the insurance company. So financial, a lot of you know, penalties for lack of a better way to put it. Um, and if there are enough infractions, if you will, I don't quite know what other word to use, that insurance company could actually lose their license in that state or in multiple states, just kind of depending on you know what the claim might be to even sell the insurance there. Right. Or have anybody carry insurance there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The reason I brought that up, obviously, is 
like I said, I've had great experience with the insurance company, but the mm-hmm. reality is there are some not so great insurance companies. And I want there are, to unfortunately. There is a higher body that can mm-hmm. them. And if you have an issue, find them in your state and call them. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, it's Absolutely. sort of like the, the Better Business Bureau of Insurance. It is. That's exactly Oh, they've got a lot more power than the <laughs> yeah, Better Business Bureau kind of of it. Yeah. Yeah. But no, you're absolutely right. Again, it comes back down to advocacy. If you're not getting what you need, need and you're not getting the answers that you need, um, you know, again, the going back to what Nancy said earlier, I think you start with your advocate. So if you've got an HR department or if you've got mm-hmm. some other entity, a broker, somebody that can work on your behalf, start there. Um, because sometimes too, a member or patient may perceive an issue that may not be an issue. It may just not be a clear enough understanding of what's happening. It's not always the bad guy insurance company, right. um, you know, but start there, get the information. And if, if they're not getting what they need too, I promise you, they've got connections. They can also advocate, you know, on your behalf to get a hold of that account manager, that broker, that, you know, the department of insurance, whomever, um, but yeah, I'm a firm believer that, you know, you fight for yourself and you, you take care of yourself because unfortunately in this world, nobody else is going to, nope. so you do what you got to do. And, and I always think that the late years of high school, senior year, maybe to college mm-hmm. years or community college, whatever, there should be a course that everyone has to take to start to understand what insurance <laughs> sure. is. There are I so many do people not disagree. that have no idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a lot to navigate. And um, mm-hmm. I feel like the usual person does, you know, you don't really think about this. It's you so, don't know mm-hmm. it until you need to know it. And, and right. you need to know it, but it would be, it would be a help, I think, all around That's if somehow right. kids you that were old that. enough were taught, taught what is insurance and yep. um, I don't think it would be the most popular class, but, <laughs> but I do feel as though it would be helpful. Well, you know, I'm going to say I've got a kiddo that's starting high school next year, and I know one of the required courses that she needs to take is consumer ed. Um, I don't see why that couldn't be a part of consumer ed. Um, but I, I don't disagree with you at all. And I can tell you again, yeah, I was on the, the phones answering the kinds of questions about coverage that, you know, you guys are asking today. And, but of course, far more granular too, uh, for about 13 years. And it never ceased to amaze me when you'd get that 20, 21 year old, 22 year old. Mm-hmm. And I say kid, I use that term very loosely, but you know, deepest voice you can possibly imagine. And it's my mom told me to call. Yeah. Okay. How can I help you? Because your mom, right? And the parents can't call for those kids. You know, maybe it's their first job out of college or, right. or mm-hmm. first job out of high school, and they need they have insurance benefits with that job. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, I feel like our kids who are all adult kids are always calling saying, "What does this mean?" Like they, you know, at right. the beginning they have no idea, and they do learn down the road when they have mm-hmm. their own mental, I mean, physical and mental health. Resources. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, right, right, professionals right. that they need covered, but um, it should just be. We don't know, you know what we don't know. So exactly, I say that all the time. You know, um, or you might have somebody call in and they're like, "I'm supposed to see this therapist," and they give me a list of questions to ask. And I don't know what they mean. That's fine. Ask them. I'm going to help you understand what they mean. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think. And Unfortunately, also, insurance is so complicated, though. How do you is. teach everybody how to use it right. in, in a 
a 101 class, if you will. Yeah, right. But but advocating that all, you know, these places mm-hmm. you have your choices oftentimes. And mm-hmm. um, you have to look at your own needs and it's mm-hmm. different from your colleague next in the mm-hmm. office next door and mm-hmm. people sign up for the wrong thing and then they're mm-hmm. screwed for the year. So um, I've done it myself and I work in the industry. <laughs> I've done it you myself, go. you know, I think everyone has done that. The, yeah. I chose the plan that I looked at and I went, wow, that looks really affordable and that looks really great. And then I had some medical needs and I went, wait a minute, that's not a plan for an adult. That's for mm-hmm. a plan. And, I, and and again, I don't mean to be demeaning, but I'm like, that's for the plan of like, up, maybe up to 30 years old, right. no medical needs whatsoever, right. spry. As soon as the back starts to hurt or the knee starts to hurt, that's not the plan for you anymore. You need an adult plan. Right. We've all done it. Yeah. Yeah. A grown up plan, as I like to call it. Well, you're the wonderful face of insurance. This was a fun, this is a fun conversation. And it was, I think so too. I really enjoyed it. And I, you guys didn't put me too much on the blocks there. (laughs) (laughs) They're definitely going to have to have you back because I have a hundred more questions. So I'd love to, we can't thank you enough. And I hope everybody who calls gets to talk to you. (laughs) Not anymore, but I hope they get one of my coworkers who, who really cares. Oh. Well, thank you, Robin. Thank, thank you, you Robin. For part of our show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We welcome your input. To contact us or any of our guests, please email us at behindourdoor at mail.com. That's behindourdoor at mail.com. And please don't forget to like and share our podcast. Um, leave us a rating. Tell us how we're doing. We really want your feedback. It's important to us. We are so thankful that you are here and listening to us. If you or someone you know is in crisis struggling with mental illness, you can call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or the NAMI Helpline at 1-800-950-6264. Until next time, please join us for another conversation behind our door. Thanks for listening.